Welcome to Librarians Allowed, an independent podcast produced by the Academic and Special Libraries section of the Library Association of Ireland. I'm your host, Laura Rooney-Farris. So we're nothing if not unpredictable. Um, After neglecting you for quite a while, we're back with a bang now. Um, This is the first of three interviews that were recorded by our intrepid field reporter, Tom Marr, um, from the Academic and Special Libraries Committee. And he recorded these at the recent uh, UK Radical Librarians meeting in Brighton. And in this interview, Tom talks to Ian Clark, who some of you may know from Twitter as at IJ Clark. Ian is the subject librarian at University of East London, and he's a founder member of the UK Radical Librarians Collective and of the Voices for Libraries um, Library Advocacy Group. Um, And he also writes about information politics on his blog, uh, Infoism. Uh, So Ian talks to Tom about his career path to date and about his interest in information politics and the roles and responsibilities of librarians in educating the public about privacy protection and in combating digital surveillance. introduce yourself, kind of tell us a bit about who you are, where you are at the moment. Um, yeah. Okay, um, yeah, so um, I'm currently a subject librarian um, for psychology at the University of East London, um, based at Stratford. Um, I've been there for just over two years. Mm-hmm. Um, it's my first professional post in uh, libraries. Um, before then, I was a um, systems officer at Canterbury Christchurch University. And systems officer, what was that? Is yeah. That like IT guy? <coughs> yeah. Thing, yeah. So I kind of dealt with things like the statistics for the journal subscriptions that we had, um, sort of looked after a little bit the back end of um, some of our library systems. So it was dealing with things like SFX. Right, okay. um, Metalib, those kinds of yeah. um, software, um, and um, so yeah, you, you have kind of a tech background then. Um. Not really. Um, so I, I kind of I I was there for about four years, four or five years, and I kind of um, got into that um, purely by accident. I was working in public libraries. Um, I started in public libraries in. 2005 and uh, left in 2010 and as I got to the end of my time in public libraries it was kind of like the writing was kind of on the wall in some respects. Yeah. <coughs> that specific, like that public library, public libraries in general or your specific post? or In, in our um, kind of in our, in our authority, so I worked in Kent, uh, Kent public libraries okay. so we had, um, there was an amalgamation that was upcoming that was the uh, registrars and the uh, public library service was going into one oh, okay. unit so they were going to close down registry offices and do the registrations in public libraries. So um, part of that was, were, was um, that people of my grade, and I was a 
<clears throat> much as I hate the the term uh, customer services officer, oh, wow. uh, yeah, um, um, some baggage with that. Yeah. Um, so um, people at that that grade and the equivalents in the registrars were kind of being streamlined okay. into into one. So um, the most innocuous of terms, streamlined. Yes, yeah, streamlined. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so um, it was a kind of I could I could see what was going to happen, um, and I kind of wanted to take a leap into academic libraries, okay. and. Um, that's when the job came up at, yeah. at, at Christchurch University, and mm. I kind of had no background, no tech background whatsoever. Mm. Um, and you were, you were kind of handy with computers, though. Like you weren't a complete luddite. Yeah, yeah. I, I kind of had a, a vague idea of, you know, uh, you know, no, so you know my way around a PC in the basic in a basic sense. So I kind of um, went for it. Saw I saw it as a way into academic libraries and then I could get to mm. more where I wanted to be, yeah. which is the kind of subject librarian role I'm in now. Yeah. Um so yeah, so I kind of kind of got out of public yeah. libraries and, and, and yeah. went down that route. And I suppose <coughs> before you went into the public library, did mm-hmm. you have you know, aspirations? Was it just another job or was there like you know, I know earlier we were talking about the romance of libraries mm-hmm. and how it's both you know, a great kind of marketing tool, but also kind of hamstrings or obscures the actual value of libraries or the quality, you know, quality of service or whatever. Um, I don't know, what was it that, you know, like I say, was it another job or did, was there another attraction? <laughs> um, uh, yeah, it was kind of, it was kind of another job, um, yeah. really. So um, I guess if we go back further, I, I kind of, um, I, the classic... Um, case of going to university, doing an English literature degree, an yeah. English literature and history degree, and coming out and then going, ah, yeah. <laughs> what do I do here? And I, I went off to do a PGCE teacher training uh, for secondary, and I kind of lasted a few months in that, and then I ditched it because it wasn't really working out. And around the same time, I was working for a large high street chemist chain um, (laughs) (laughs) Um, and I I kind of like my mum worked there I had a job there part-time and I kind of uh, a full-time post came up and I needed a job so I ended up in there and I ended up working in that renowned chain um, from about so that was about 99 to 2005 and I was kind of very much going down the route of being a manager um, of some description Mm -hmm. I I was I was a team manager for a time um, right up until the moment I left and I was kind of getting stuck into that I can't get out. I, I tried to get into publishing for a long time. Yeah. I had work experience of publishers. I had job interviews of publishers in London, but um, never happened. Yeah. Uh, so I kind of got stuck in retail. And then... Um, there was a lot of transferable skills. Yeah. From retail into your kind of customer service role yeah. in the library. Yeah. Um, I mean, this is the funny thing about it, because I'm, I'm really anti the, the use of the word customer in, in libraries generally. And um, But uh, the kind of like sad irony from my point of view is if it, if it wasn't for the fact that word to use in libraries, I yeah. wouldn't be in a public library. Sure. So, um, I mean, in terms of how I made that leap, I was kind of... Um, 
was in a really bad situation in in the in, with this retailer where my we had a new store manager come in and um, I was sort of you know pretty much harassed and bullied uh, in the workplace. So it was kind of a, a desperation to get out, and I was frantically looking for jobs, um, and I, it was anything basically. Yeah. Um, and um, I saw an advert in public libraries for customer service officer and I thought okay well I that's the way in and then maybe once I'm in public libraries I can get more to into the kind of work that I would like to be doing so I was never that kind of um, graduation from university I want to work in the library I want to do that you know it kind of happened by accident that seems um, to be a common theme from a lot of people I've spoken to, where it's like, oh, I can't get into a black accident. Yeah. Uh, and like sometimes the accidents take place uh, like over the period of a year or two years. Sometimes it's instantly like, oh, I just went for a job and got it. Yeah. Sometimes it's like, oh, I kind of did the professional degree kind of on a whim or something like that. And, yeah. And uh, it kind of ended up in libraries that way, but they still feel like it was an accident or whatever. Yeah. yeah. So it's kind of. Yeah, there's a lot of common, out, common elements there. Yeah, yeah. it's definitely very much, very much an accident. I mean, I, I have to say, I mean, I've always been, because um, I've always been politically minded, mm. like going right away back to the university and, and at school actually, um, and and you know a lot of the values and um, the ethos and the and the kind of ethical underpinnings of our work are things that I have always held to be important right. values anyway. So you know, I would never, I'd never in a million years, years sort of airbrush my past and go, oh yes, I always wanted to work in public libraries because it met, you know, the, the yeah. values that I hold. Uh, that was the place where I thought I could espouse them, and and, and, yeah, and sure. you know, um, but it is a nice fit because yeah. there's a lot of things that I'm passionate about that libraries do. Yeah. So um, yeah. yeah, it sounds like the kind of you know you tried out teaching for a short yeah. time and like there's kind of a lot of common elements there as yeah. well. Yeah. So coming out of the public libraries then and mm-hmm. um, went into the academic library side mm-hmm. of things and now you're a subject librarian. What mm-hmm. was that kind of transition like for you? Um, it's been interesting. Um, and definitely there's been this kind of really noticeable transition between public libraries and then my first um, academic employer and my current academic employer. And, and certainly where I am now, compared to where I was in public libraries, I get trusted a lot more in how right. I do my job. And I feel like I have more scope to be creative in how I do my work. Public libraries is very kind of, you're, you're quite, in, well, in my experience, I was you felt like it was quite constrained. There's certain things you can do, certain things you can't do. You have to kind of, run a lot of things past senior managers and then you yeah. you know you've got a lot of bureaucracy going on is that there. like a organizational culture type of thing or is that a function of policy <coughs> you know if you're dealing with vulnerable adults or children or whatever that sort of stuff or yeah i, th- I think um I, I i'm not sure what i what i would put it down to really i, okay. I think it's um it was just a lot of um I, I guess part of it as well, because I wasn't in a professional post um, when I was working in public libraries, so I guess there's that kind of, I'm, I'm not a professional, so therefore oh, okay. I can't do certain things okay. that I would like to do. Yeah, sure. Um, but there was certainly, you, there was a lot of, um, you know, you've got a lot of stuff in public libraries where 
the librarians have less influence over things than than other people working within the council, and you're kind of at the whims of manage managerial types that yeah. aren't librarians and and have no real understanding of what the library does. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think you're kind of constrained in in that respect. Yeah, um, I mean, do you and you, you've. Do you see that in academic libraries from like planning and administrative uh, or executive um, uh, departments within universities or colleges or whatever? Is that, you know, there's a similar kind of um, interference or, you know, you're, you're kind of. Yeah, I mean, I. I understanding maybe, yeah, I, I don't see, I don't, don't really find that in my in my current role. I'm kind of, um, you know, I'm really very much entrusted to, yeah. to, to do the job. Um, you know, as I see fit, which is great because there's a real sort of level of trust there. Of you know, you're a trained librarian. Okay, you yeah. know the best way to meet the needs of the students. Um, you go ahead and, and, and do it. So I, I feel like, and it's very important to me um, to be working in an environment where I f- where I'm where I can feel that I'm trusted to do the job mm-hmm. how I want to do it because I like to have a certain amount of freedom to kind of um, express myself in my role but also experiment. yeah experiment try things out I'm, I'm very much a, a kind of a, hey let's try this and see what happens kind of thing yeah. you know that's how I do things previous employers libraries or otherwise it's been a little less kind of well actually you can't do that mm. and if you want to do that you're gonna to have to do a business case to oh, okay, yeah. you know demonstrate that that's something that we should be even considering yeah um, whereas at the moment, I kind of, um, you know, I guess I guess the example I would use is, you know, I'm quite into using social media. Mm-hmm. When I worked in public libraries, there was kind of quite a lot of, oh well, we should be getting into this, but we're oh, not sure. And there was a lot of discussion about it and how we should do it, and, and this, that, and the other, and whether we should do it, and whether we were able to do it. Uh, in my current role, I literally the first week I was there, I went up to somebody who chaired the social media group for the library, and said, "Look, I want to set up a subject librarian Twitter account. Is that okay?" And the response I got was basically, um, "Just go ahead and do it. You don't need to come to me and, and ask okay, me these great. things." So there's there's quite a substantial difference, yeah. um, you know, between the two uh, two yeah. environments really. And I'd say. You going in and wondering, oh, what's this going to be like or whatever, and the first week then giving you that go yeah. ahead or whatever was probably a good sign. Yeah, really was. You, yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So. Well, like, yeah, you, you know, uh, anyone who follows you on Twitter, <coughs> IJ Clark, um, mm. like you're quite active on there. Um, you kind of get involved in a lot of discussions, library related and otherwise, and that's informed by the politics you mentioned earlier that mm. like you took with you from your student days um, into where we are now, 2016, mm-hmm. um, how do you, does that influence your work uh, as a subject librarian or do you keep the two separate? Um, <coughs> I mean, I, I try to, there are certain things that you can't do, right? that yeah. kind of goes without saying. I, I try wherever possible to... Um, Act upon my um, beliefs uh, within the, the confines of what I can do. So, for example, minor things like 
um, if I use search engine as part of my sort of information literacy packages that I do, I won't use Google, I'll use DuckDuckGo. Yeah. Um, I did a whole piece, I, I've got a work blog as well, and I did a whole piece on how to, how to use DuckDuckGo. Mm. So I tried to put, promote tools that are kind of, you know, kind of fit with the kind of things that I would want to yeah. encourage. Um, so yeah, I certainly, certainly try as much as possible to bring that into my work. You, you don't kind of you don't make a big thing of it. It's no. just kind of it's just part of yeah. the work itself. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I, th I think it's more effective when it just becomes like a natural part of your working yeah, sure. practice um, rather than just sort of making a big thing about yeah. it. So um, yeah, I, I, th I think that's I think that is really important. And and again, it's kind of. It's depending on where you where you work and and what the kind of rules and regs are. But if you if you you know things like saying to people, here's the search engine yeah. that you know ensures your you protect your privacy. Yeah. You know th there should be no workplace in the in the country, no library in the country that should yeah. have an issue with you promoting that kind of um, tool. Yeah. Um, so you know just just do it. Yeah, that's fair enough. Um... The Radical Librarians Collective, which you've been involved in mm. for upwards of three years, um, which came first, the mm. chicken or the egg kind of thing? What, you know, did you get involved in it because you were already clued into this stuff, or did you get clued into this stuff because you saw this was happening? You're like, this lines up with my values, my politics, whatever. I'm going to get into it, and mm -hmm. um, you know, these notions of trying to disseminate alternative tools and trying to educate people about the way their information and data is being used or misused. Yeah, so I mean, I kind of, um, <clears throat> um, I guess my involvement in the Radical Librarians Collective, uh, previous to that I was also involved in um, setting up Voices for the Library, the public libraries um, campaign, uh, myself and several other um, kind of librarians and non-librarians um, sort of um, set it up because we were concerned about um, public library advocacy being pretty poor and um, there was a lot of issues around that around you know how the professional body was there were certain things about how um, economically politically socially things were happening around libraries that were <clears throat> that have a you know libraries don't sit in a bubble they are part of the society in which they exist so everything that happens in that society impacts upon uh, public libraries so you know the, the economics um, is a very clear case of you know there's a you know neoliberal um, economic agenda that's been um, pursued by um, successive governments since the late 70s you know that as it, that has an impact on on the public library sure. service so I guess you know in terms of the radical librarians thing that that was kind of my main um, thing that kind of like sort of got me involved in it in terms of the sort of the sort of surveillance issues and things like that I've always been so I've, I've, I have a blog um, called um, Infoism which I've been running for a few years now and that's the prime focus for me on that has been about sort of information politics in particular things like um, freedom of information um, transparency surveillance all these kinds of issues 
Um, so I guess I guess I was kind of like already in that kind of place. Right. Okay. And um, there were a few of us who kind of were talking, and we were kind of like we were all coming from the same kind of areas with slightly different perspectives, and we were all kind of like you know there's no real forum for us to really discuss these issues from these kinds of perspectives, and and I guess that's kind of kind of where it emerged from really. Um, yeah. When it comes down to things like you know some of the, the greater awareness of the, the tools that are available out there and how to use them, etc., etc., um, I think that that really came to me from Alison McCrina's work in Library Freedom uh, Project, which I kind of um, you know I've sort of been connected with Alison for quite a while now, and um, when she started doing that that stuff, it really kind of like clicked with me, and yeah, I was like, true. okay, that's. I guess I've always kind of been, I've always been aware of it. I've always, like I said, I've been writing about surveillance um, for a while. And I got a part of me was like, you know, what can public libraries do? What can we as librarians do to, mm. to kind of tackle this issue? And I guess when Alison started working on her, you know, library freedom projects, it kind of was like, right, that's yeah. that's what we should be doing. Okay. You know, it seems so obvious now. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, so I, I've, I've always been... Um, I'm really inspired by what she's been doing in, mm -hmm. in the US and I think um, despite the, the difficulties we face in the UK in terms of um, taking forward some of the work that she's been doing in, in, in the US, I think there are certainly opportunities there for the profession here to say actually we need to start yeah. working on these kinds of um, issues and, and doing something about it because professionally in terms of our ethics and you know what we are about mm -hmm. the whole issue of surveillance and, and protecting individuals is absolutely fundamental to our work uh, you know if, if we're about a, a profession that's all about um, facilitating access to information removing barriers to access to information a, a massive impediment to that is surveillance because surveillance acts as a as a device to kind of limits the extent to which people will freely engage with information so um, yeah so that's, that's kind of a massive issue and I guess all of these yeah. things come, have come to heads I think sort of post Snowden that obviously kind of like really heightens awareness of it as well so so yeah I think from my point of view the, the kind of the economic environment in which public libraries are existing that was clearly having an impact on it yeah Plus the kind of um, what Alison's been doing, and you know the post Snowden sure. environment is, is kind of really. Yeah, and I mean, I guess since all that Snowden stuff kicked off, and I mean, uh, Alison's been at her work now for like a decent enough period of time. Um, these ideas have had a chance to kind of people have had a chance to reflect on them. Mm -hmm. They've had a chance to seep into the kind of discourse, I guess, around libraries. Um, how do you feel that's going? Um, do you think? Do you feel that librarians or library workers or people in decision-making positions have been receptive to the issues uh, that are being raised, or do you feel like there's a lot of kickback? Or I think um, I think there's sort of we're in an interesting time really because I think um, we're going through a phase where well, I think we had an initial phase where it was a kind of like not really interested. Okay, that's the thing that's happening. You know, we don't really want to engage in it, and that would be. I think that's true of the professional body. I think that's true of the profession in general. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's just a, a lack of lack of interest in it. I think we've moved past that phase, and I think we're in a phase now where very much there's an understanding that it's an important issue, and it, there's an understanding that it's something that um, we need to be prepared to tackle. I think I think part, one of the issues we face though is that. Um, leadership professional leadership in its for in its many forms pay lip service to the importance of privacy and uh, you know the issues around surveillance and how you know it's, it cuts against our our ethics and uh, you know our, our, you know what we believe in and what we espouse um i'm i'm not yet convinced that there's enough um enough of a push behind that to actually see developments okay. happen. Um, so I think it's an interesting, I think that there's perhaps there's potential for um, pressure to be applied that results in things actually being achieved. Yeah. Um, but at present, I, th- I think it's more of a kind of, it's gone from that, we don't really want to talk about it to, we do want to talk about it. And, and I think what we next got to do is, is get away from just talking about it and let's sort of get some actions. How are yeah. we going to actually tackle this? Um, and I, I think it's a, it's a fairly standard practice amongst um, the kind of, how should I describe it, managerial class, I guess, to, <laughs> kind, of, uh, to kind of have that appearance that the issue is being taken seriously and, and, and to appear that okay yes we you know we understand this and we need to take it forward but nothing ever really happens it just kind of floats around um, being talked about kicked around um, and acknowledged that it's important but without ever really acting on yeah. it um, you know what possible solutions to uh, to this kind of roadblock then do you see um, in the future, like, does it lie with kind of um, younger librarians who are coming in, um, or you know, not necessarily younger as an age, but just younger as in the sta- you know stage in their career or whatever, who haven't you know been infected for want of a better word by mm-hmm. this management speak, um, mm-hmm. or I don't know where where does it lie? Do you think? I think it's it's kind of a difficult uh, it's a difficult problem actually. I mean, I I, I would. Generally, argue that the you know the important thing is is to make sure that um, people within the profession as much as possible and, and the new people coming in constantly coming in should have should have it really in, ingrained into them that this is an issue this is important we need to tackle it yeah. uh, and and not just talk about it actually do it um, and then you know you'd hope that as those people filter up the the chain yeah. and get to the top then you know problem solved of course we know historically that never really happens it, you know people get up to a certain level with good intentions and then those good intentions mm. kind of um, get beaten out of them you can lay the blame on that many things you know neoliberalism perhaps kind of makes people um, become um, compliant I guess as they move up the system I, I guess the other thing is as well is that the even if it were true that you can kind of work your way up from the bottom and those people will, will filter through and then eventually you'll have this kind of um, you know perfect uh, like profession where everybody's you know that that initial layer that have made their way through have kind of filtered all of it down. I think I think we're increasingly in a situation where um, 
senior management in libraries is no longer um, solely the domain of librarians and, and uh, uh, um, managers. Uh, with no professional qualifications, no professional backgrounds. I, th I think that's increasingly going to be a, a big issue that we face. And, um, you know, I, I, I can't think of any specific examples, but I I'm, seem to recall that there's, there's, you know, there's increasingly been senior librarians who are, or senior people who work in libraries who, who have no librarianship qualification whatsoever. So once you kind of bring in that kind of layer of managerial, experienced managers, um, and strategists and, and yeah. God knows what else, um, then it, it doesn't matter what happens okay. when they filter in because fresh blood will just come from outside the profession anyway. Yeah, so it kind of it requires a larger, sh like a larger societal shift. Yeah. Um, not just within the profession, but mm -hmm. without. Absolutely. Um, and I suppose that places the onus then, it seems like, on the kind of grassroots organisations mm -hmm. that are kind of willing to put in the spade work um, to educate, mm -hmm. um, to kind of provide tools, mm -hmm. provide resources, and um, stuff like that. And I suppose that's probably where OLC comes in, mm -hmm. um, in terms of being an organisation that that stuff can filter through, maybe. Um, and have you guys seen a lot of success uh, with that, just through the events you've put <coughs> on, resources you've provided? I think, um, I, I think, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, I don't think I would like to say that, like you know, there's been I couldn't reel off a, a whole load of successes. I think there has been there have been a lot of good things that have come out of RLC emerging I, because I think a lot of um, discussion, um, a lot of discussion was taking place in the past, but I think it tended to be kind of very sort of segmented and. Um, kind of away from the sort of mainstream discussion. I think one of the good things that RLC's done is kind of brought a lot of stuff out into the open and, yeah. um, you know, social media is great for that. You know, it, it gives you that platform for public discussion. And, and the more people engage in it, I mean, that, I mean that, again, this is the great thing about, from, from my point of view, about how RLC's stuff's developed in the... You know, initially it was about, what, six or seven of us that just had this idea of maybe we should have something where we can, you know, like minds can get together and discuss it. And um, there's kind of more and more people have picked up on it as a thing as it's grown. And um, I think that's been that's been a real positive. Um, just having that conversation can lead to change in itself, not, you know, earth-shattering change but if, yeah. if it can shift things just a little bit then it's a success yeah uh and i think uh, i certainly wouldn't like to put any sort of you know um grand achievements at the feet of rlc but i think if it's achieved one thing i think it's maybe shifted some of the um discussion just even one percent even one yeah. percent um and, and i think that's something that is a real positive thing yeah, um, and I think again you know going back on what I was saying earlier about the, about the, the grassroots aspect I think for me the most important thing is that you know again it's about having these conversations and it's about having these forums where we have these conversations and, and to challenge things and, and, and push back against the status quo um, I also think it's really important to kind of broaden it out and, and build links with other you know, radical professional 
groups because I think ultimately if we want to have the kind of society that we all envisage would be the kind of the ideal it's not going to come just from changing you know inside the profession and having that filtering which is it's not going to happen it's got to be about um, you know sort of taking the things that we've done which you know is, is, is build that narrative and kind of getting people engaged in the discussion that, that perhaps weren't before didn't feel comfortable or, or felt that they were you know oh it's just me who who has this perspective there's nobody else in the profession yeah. who's, who's talking about these things and extrapolate that out I mean if you've got every uh, if you've got working with other um, sort of networks radical networks in, in all their different forms and, and, and building from there you know there's a real opportunity there to actually um, start getting society in general to change you know if you if you if you just have it's the old um tina there is no alternative you know if there if there appears to be no alternative then for many people there is no alternative the challenge for um for radical groups of any of all descriptions is to to get that alternative out there and make that alternative happen and the only way that can really happen is by, um, you know, solidarity across uh, radical groups, building, uh, you know, collaborating, working together, and just having that that conversation and engagement mm. publicly, uh, and building from there. And it's a long, you know, I often say to um, say to people, I'm kind of, um, I am a realist. You know, there's there's a kind of um, world I would like to see, but I kind of I I know that that world is not going to happen in my lifetime. Yeah. So I guess I I kind of like have a mantra of you know be kind of idealistic in your goals, but be realistic in your expectations. And I think that's a good way of keeping yourself from feeling disheartened because you're not sure. getting the change that you want. Um, from sort of just giving up on it all and yeah. thinking I'm just I can't which you know again a neoliberal society is, is designed to make people apolitical and make resistance appear futile but I think if you have that kind of like re- that realisation that actually I, I know that the change that I want is not going to happen before I die but I'm going to do my damnedest to try and shift stuff as much as I can mm-hmm. and, and keep that idealistic drive Whilst also maintaining that kind of realistic expectations at the end of it. Yeah. Um, so it sounds like <clears throat> there's a rough roadmap, mm-hmm. maybe ahead, for organisations like RLC, conversations like the ones we've described. Are you optimistic about the direction these conversations are going in? That, like, you know, we've kind of mentioned before, the kind of slow, you know, the 1% maybe we've shifted the dial mm-hmm. uh, are you optimistic that you can get to a 2% uh, <laughs> like in the next couple of years or uh, how, 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 what do you see the future of it being I, I'd like to think so I think um, probably my, my big issue at the moment is it's a bit like um, as I was saying before about how some of the sort of issues around surveillance has been you know initially from you know let's call it the establishment you know, there was there was sort of ignoring it or or blocking it as as a avenue for discussion to this kind of area we now where it is being talked about. I I think that there there's a there's always a danger of 
ideas and movements being co-opted by those that wish to nullify um, that movement. And I think, you know, we've kind of sort of seen it already in that you get things... Um, I loathe to use the term, but things branded as radical that are anything but radical. They're kind of marginally, you know, slightly not mainstream um, positions. And uh, there's a danger that that a lot of the things that we kind of talk about and engage in will be just co-opted and watered down, um, which... That troubles me, and it does. It worries me that that could happen. And I think that's a particular danger when, quite rightly, ROC strives to be a horizontalist, non-leadership um, kind of uh, collective. So we don't. There's nobody saying, nobody driving things. There's no. There's no. Um, you know, leader. Um, thankfully. Dangers of the horizontalist thing is you all need to you all need to be pushing forward together, and if you don't all push forward together and you kind of stop pushing forward together, then the things that you're pushing on will just be co-opted by forces that are not in alignment with your ethics, principles, etc., etc. And I think, um, yeah, I I think that's that's a very real danger, and I, I, I suppose for me. I, my argument would be that what we have to make sure we do is keep pushing and keep pushing and keep pushing and keep pushing. So we have to be continually doing things. We have to be continually, you know, building things, not ever stopping. Because as soon as you stop, those whole ideas will be, yeah. uh, you know, um, be co-opted by somebody else. So um, I'm kind of, I guess, going back to whether I'm optimistic or not, I'm, I'm kind of... I want to be optimistic. I want to be really optimistic and think that we can push forward and achieve things. I, I'm concerned that you know the kind of momentum will slow, and as in, it always seems to happen in any kind of large organised kind of structure, things get weighted down, and then we find that actually it's, it's you know gets watered down and co-opted basically. Yeah, sure. So. May, you may not be optimistic, mm. but like you were saying earlier, you're realistic. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> about the dangers. <coughs> uh, so I guess just to wrap up, um, in light of everything we've spoken about, mm-hmm. would you have any advice for uh, students in library school and uh, people listening to this who want to get into libraries, people who've just gotten into libraries themselves recently? Mm-hmm. Any advice for them going in, kind of you know, mantras or something you, um, you tell yourself uh. yeah well um, I mean from my point of view I mean I, again you know I've been in, involved in Voices of the Library I've been involved in the Radical Librarians Collective and, and, and my main driver has always been if if there's if you identify that there's a gap if you identify that there's a need or something that's missing from the profession that you feel should be filled then do what you can to fill it and I appreciate that, that that can be a privileged position to take because not everybody can act upon the things that they feel should happen and nobody should ever feel pressure to create things and to you know do it do it yourself have a kind of do it yourself ethos but if you are able to if you if you are fortunate enough to be in a position where you can 
build things and create things and drive things then then do it never feel afraid of you know building stuff never think that whatever you build is going to be um uh collapse all around you you know the minute you turn your back i mean voices for library now has been going for um six years rlc for for three years and these things are still happening and and building and you know they're, they're things that have, was started from scratch by people who had a passion and if you've got a passion for something and you and you feel very strongly about something then you know try whatever you can do to act upon that you know where possible unless it's fascist unless it's fascist yes <laughs> in which case fuck off yeah. <laughs> um, uh, all right ian clark thank you very much for joining me um people can find you at ij clark uh, on twitter infoism mentioned earlier uh voice for libraries um anywhere else uh no that's it i think yeah all <laughs> yeah. right okay thanks for watching okay cheers Very big thanks to our roving reporter Tom uh, for that report and to Ian for providing such an interesting interview. Um, so if that's got you interested in learning more, you can follow Ian's writing on at Infoism on Twitter. Um, you can also learn more about what you can do to protect yourself and your library users' digital privacy at the ASL's Crypto Party uh, this weekend, August 6th and 7th. We're actually booked up for those dates. Um, but we're hoping to run the event again if there's interest and it looks at the moment like there will be. Um, so do stay tuned to the ASL Twitter account, which is at AS Libraries. And a reminder also that the call for papers for the ASL 2017 conference, The Sociable Librarian, is out now. So if you go to www.aslibraries.com, you can check out submission details and please do uh, submit a paper. Librarians Allowed is produced by Laura Rooney-Ferris. Music and additional editing is by Michael Ferris. <laughs> <laughs>